This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The coronavirus pandemic has separated us. It has separated us from our neighbors across the street, but it has also separated countries. The EU, which allowed borderless travel across its region, has all but abandoned that during the pandemic as a way to be able to control levels of illness within their countries. And with no assurances that COVID-19 won't pop up again down the road, at least until a vaccine is found, it brings up a question of whether our global interconnectedness has taken a hit, one that it may be hard to reboot in the short term. Regina Abrami is the director of the global program at the Lauder Institute for International Management and Studies here at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. She's also a senior lecturer in political science and a senior fellow in the management department at the Wharton School. Regina, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well through all of this. Hey, thanks, Dan. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, good to hear you as well. How much impact has there been, do you think, up till now? There's been tremendous impact. I mean, I, I think that uh, the China case is particularly makes, makes that argument. I mean, keep in mind that um, China shut its borders. It essentially closed for business without much warning for the rest of the world, and things shut down, and the ripple effects were almost immediate. Um, I don't think this is a permanent state of affairs, but um, I think that it was a, a great wake-up call for everyone. But then it, it does make you think about, about what the future is going to be, because uh, of these temporary impacts, and whether or not some of the the, the new things that have put into have been put into play in order to be able to get back into the normal daily operation of business, of whether or not some of these elements are going to become more the norm. Oh, I, I would have to. Yeah, I would have to agree. In fact, I think your um, your last guest had talked a little bit about this being a game changer, and I do think it's a game changer. I mean, there will be a new normal. And, and a big part of that new normal is going to be rethinking what global supply chains look like, you know, in, insofar as the old dependency on China as the place to go to, I think, is going to be getting um, a real hard, long look. Um, and I think we've, we've seen it. It started already with the trade war. Um, but now um, I think that both buyers, suppliers and governments are going to be rethinking whether over-dependency is just coming at too high of a price. But then when you look at, at a region like the EU, where you obviously have the relationships uh, uh, between those countries, I would think that there are going to be elements that are going to be changed even within that structure of, of how that region runs. You know, the potential is certainly there. I think the potential is there, but I also think that it's a different case insofar that there is some presumption of greater transparency. Um, you know, through through the EU in terms of the shared agreements that they have, as well as shared labor um, agreements and the like. So I think it's a little bit different insofar that the China context and a big piece of that story was about not having initial transparency and not a whole lot of warning. So I do think I do think that it's a wake up call for all, but I don't think we'll see as dramatic a shift in global supply chains on the EU side as we're going to see in China vis-a-vis the rest of the world. Is it your expectation then that, that and obviously China's economy, I, I think, has been a big question for a lot of people over the last few years in terms of the uh, the GDP numbers that they have produced and obviously coming down off of where they were, uh, of, of the fact that, that China not only is looking at a new normal culturally, but they're looking at a new normal economically as well? Oh, they are. They are. And I, think, I don't think China obviously is not fully bounced back from where it was. Uh, you can see... On the news every evening, the amount of uh, controls that still remain in place as, as 
businesses try to get back on track. But China's lag is actually then a lag that, again, hits the rest of the world. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it just in the dramatic decline in, in air freight, right? There just are no planes. So it's not an accident, for example, if we go back to the Patriots, that they had to fly their own plane to China to get, to get uh, you know, uh, PPE or personal protective equipment for our hospitals. So, yeah, China's not going to bounce back. China's going to be um, different as well. Um, but I would say it was already on that track. I think the real the real effect is not going to be is not going to be what we thought we were seeing before, which was a China that was being um, very active in trying to move itself up the value added uh, supply chains to get away from sort of low value add, putting in place policies that some some foreign investors you know thought were quite unfair, to a very different situation where we're in now, which is governments instead and businesses instead looking at the risk of overinvesting in China. So it's not about fighting for the for the level playing field in China, but rather rethinking, do we need more than even just what you just call the China plus one strategy? And instead we need to hedge. And we saw that in the news with Japan's government providing, I think, two billion of its tr- of its stimulus to encourage Japanese firms to come back to Japan. Right. Because the Japanese auto industry was being hit so hard with the lack of um, components. If we if we see a, a change in, in how the the mindset around supply chains is and and the relationship between country and country, then how does that impact the relationship maybe between international businesses? One's here in the U.S. and and one here, uh, one maybe in Japan or, or another part of the world, and how they look at that relationship moving forward. I think that the, the change in the relationship business to business is going to be driven, one, by what governments are requiring of them, but it's also going to be driven by buyers, right? Because at the end of the day, it's buyers that aren't able to get their goods. So I think we're going to start to see buyers changing how they think about supply chain risk, right? If we go over the past 20 years, it was all about just-in-time production. Don't hold large inventories, you know, from to most industries, that, that this was all considered the wrong strategy, I think we're going to see a shift in how we look at resilience and supply chains. And I think it's going to go away from the sort of long and lean, and it's going to start going into looking at issues around not so much cost efficiencies, but really around redundancy where it's needed for certain sectors, and also diversification. So you might see replication, not just you know 100% of uh, reliance, for example, on China. I mean, do you realize 75% of all uh, personal protective equipment, at least with regard to face masks, comes from China? Yeah, I knew the number was very high. And, and I guess then my next question is, is how does that potentially open up new areas of innovation for companies, whether it be here in the United States or other parts of the world? Because obviously during this crisis, we have seen so many businesses here in the U.S., change their, their their mindset, you know, change their production lines. You know, you have car companies making ventilators. You have a company like Fanatics, which does sports jerseys that's making PPE. And, and it's I know it's a temporary thing because of the crisis we're in, but it makes you wonder whether it becomes a, a new product line for a company down the road. It's not out of the question, right? It's not out of the question. At the end of the day, um, price is going to be is going to play a part in this, right? We are right now in crisis mode, but it's not out of the question that a company does find a reason to continue with a certain line of production. But but even with that, there's going to be a lag, right? Because if you look at what happened, none of these companies immediately retooled producing ventilators or even masks, for that matter. So I think that it's it's going to be something that they will consider. I I don't I don't think 
that um, you're going to see as much of a shift with companies moving production necessarily back to the U.S. I think what you're going to see is rather diversification into different regions. I mean, Vietnam, for example, has been a, a, a great winner yeah. in, in what's been going on, with the, particularly on the China side, with uh, getting a lot of the spillover, particularly in the electronic sector, because companies like Apple and Microsoft – are asking their tier one suppliers to think about where else they might be able to produce this stuff so that they're not 100% dependent on one single you know line in their supply chain for key components. Do you think then, because of how this has been such a, a had a global impact, and prior to this, we were all re- already seeing a level of nationalism uh, here in, in this country and, and also other countries around the world, does the at least in the short term, the concern of coronavirus coming back, maybe even push that level of nationalism down the road a little bit more. Yeah, I think you will. I think you will see that. But I, I still don't think the nationalists or the mercantilists are going to win the day. I think the ones yeah. that are going to win the day are going to be the companies and co- the countries that think about hedging in new ways. And hedging has to mean you're still engaging with the global economy. I don't right. think you can just shut the door. It just it doesn't make sense, and I don't. I think we're too far beyond that. I just think that they're going to, in a sense, rework and rewire the global system in a in a, in a different mapping than what we see right now. And it's not going to happen right away, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be really interesting to watch it because right now you you could say the cards are very much in China's hands. The world needs China right now, but as companies have found the domestic market harder a harder harder uh, place in which to do business and in which nationalism has led, for example, Chinese buyers to not want certain foreign goods, there's less of an incentive to do business in that market. And that, that hurts. that's going to hurt the Chinese market economy as much as it would hurt um, the United States if it was to close its borders. So I think interconnectedness remains. I just think it's going to take a very, very different shape. And, and you're going to see these global shifts over the next five to ten years. And, and I think a lot of people expected that that – Whatever level of shift, you know, there's an element of it that was already in play uh, to begin with because of how the digital culture has kind of taken over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I was thinking, you know, a perfect example would be um, Alibaba, right? So if you look at AliExpress, you can can get on AliExpress and buy some face masks if you'd like, right? So this is coming in from China. Admittedly, at this point, you're waiting two, three months for something, but you already have those connections. So I think e-commerce is going to see... Uh, a real uptick. And you're also going to see an uptick because a lot of people that were not using these technologies, whether it be e-commerce, um, uh, video platforms for conferencing, are now using it and adapting it for uh, a, a range of uses they hadn't before. So I think it's going to change the way we work in all sorts of ways. We just don't even fully appreciate yet. Regina, thank you for coming on today. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Dan. Take care now. Bye now. Thank you. Regina Abrami, Director of the Global Program at the Lauder Institute for International Management. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.